Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case file 29, The Candyman. Welcome back. I'm Carrie. And I'm Brittany. And we are Lone Star 187. So this week, we are in Houston again. But this story, I have to cover. So let me backtrack a little bit. We had a suggestion from a new listener to do a story about the Texas, no, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Really, really good story. Super interesting. And as I started to research it, I was like, why the hell haven't I done this before? Mm -hmm. I I can't believe I haven't covered it. I realized why pretty quickly, and that is that it's an unsolved murder. And we try not to do unsolved murders because it keeps us up at night. We're like, well, what happened? So until that one is solved, I'm not going to cover it, but it is a really good one. And there's a tie into the Grimm Hotel, which is super cool there. Very cool. We've driven around there when we were... In Arkansas on vacation one time, a couple of times. So super good story. You're right, listener. Good suggestion. But I just want you to know that's the reason why we didn't cover it. But good suggestion. Keep them coming. So this one is about a guy named Dean Coral, And he was also known as the Candyman. And he originally is, was from Fort Wayne, Indiana, I think. They moved to Houston, Texas in a neighborhood called the Heights. And what year is this? This was in 1970s, early 1970s. So the Heights neighborhood in the earlier years was like an upper class neighborhood. Early 1970s, that all changed and it began to just be like middle class, maybe a little bit lower class, but it wasn't upper echelon. During this time, or this is between 1970 and 1973 is when all of this took place. But during this time, there were a lot of chirins, like teenage boys that would come up missing. And during this time, they didn't have, uh, Houston Police Department didn't have a missing persons division, right? So what they did is they uh, divided the officers into groups. And then if someone called and said, my son is missing, it went to this person. And if someone else called, even like across the street, it would might go to a different person. So the problem is no one within those divisions were talking to each other. So that's part of why the amount and how this so out of control just kind of reflect back on this is kind of why just because the there wasn't really a super organized way to keep track of who was missing when and were they actually the only commonality is they were young teenage boys and they live in the heights so if the detectives or the policemen that were getting those reports were talking to each other they may have been able to find commonalities and maybe been able to find them sooner is that what uh, I don't know if they would have been able to find them sooner but they would have known a lot sooner than they did that there was a major problem here mm-hmm. so that they would have been alerted to hey what the fuck's going on here something is not right the parents would try to do their best like they would walk around put up posters that go to the police station uh, but the cops kept making excuses like the policemen would always say maybe they're hitchhiking across the country Maybe they've joined some communes or maybe they're just part of this hippie movement that we've got going on right here. Uh, And they would say, unless there is clear evidence of foul play, no official search can be conducted. 
Um, but they promise, you know, if we see your son, we're going to send him back to school. Okay. Yeah. While so, he's hitchhiking? Right. For random reasons. Yeah. And like you're not going to send him home. You're going to send him to school, assuming you're going to find him during the day. Come on. And not ask, like, where have you been? And Where'd this you go? Is, again, we're almost in summer, again, in Texas, for the record. Okay. Okay, so it's May 29th, 1971, and a woman by the name of Dorothy Hillegeist says goodbye to her 13-year-old son, David, and his 16-year-old friend, Mally. Um, they were going swimming in the local pool. Someone seen them getting into a van. They never came home. They're reported missing. This is the commonality that starts. Was that the hitchhiking van? Maybe. Maybe it was a commune of hippies in a van. Hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. There it is. Wrap it up. Story done. Story done. How about that? That was a great story. Thank Good you. Job. And we're out. But I think you forgot the fact that there was not really any crime. Oh, got it. Yeah. And we're back. And here we are. So the other problem was that the cops would often assume that if the if the teenage boy didn't come home, he was a runaway. Um, and But of course, this little boy's mom, was she refused to believe. He wouldn't do that. So their fa- family hired a private detective. They comb their neighborhood. They even sought the advice of a psychic, hoping maybe that would help. Um, and friends and family helped put up posters offering a $1,000 reward. One year later, it's been a oh whole year, gosh, okay? Year. Two more teenage boys disappear. 17-year-old Billy Balsh and his friend Johnny DeLone. Uh, Billy's brother Michael had a history of running away, so the police assumed that Billy had just done the same thing. Our policemen, like, how can yeah. we, like, how can we just kind of put this under the rug? Like, did they ever run away? Did they ever say they wanted to run away? Okay, maybe they maybe they just ran away. Well, the problem is there are kids that are doing it. And I so, mean, I, I get that. I mean, even Jack sometimes gets mad. He's like, I don't want to live here. I'm mm-hmm. mad. But would I think that he would run away from home? No. But they got to listen to the parents. Well, also remember, this is the early 1970s. So things are different than they are now. People probably didn't lock their door. Kids were out on their bikes all night. Like, there was a lot. There was a lot more freedom mm-hmm. for teenagers during this age, okay. right? Um, so, Billy's parents followed a few leads of their own, and they remembered that Billy often hung out with a man that was an electrician. His name was Dean Coral. Coral, C O R L O. This guy had a nickname of the Candyman. He earned this nickname because when he was younger, his family owned a, ca- a candy company in the neighborhood in the Heights. So he was always giving candy away to, to all of his friends. Can you imagine if our family oh made candy? God. That would be so, so I'd be like a thousand pounds. I, I would just eat candy all the time. I would have I a have show called 700 Pound Life and I own a candy company. And I have no teeth. So my teeth are And I'm out. diabetic. <laughs> Diabetes. But everyone in the neighborhood, of course, said, oh, he's a really nice guy. He helped me get my car started one time. He does all these little things in the neighborhood. He's friends with all the kids in the neighborhood. Um, he would kind of drive around in his van. And if they needed a ride. he had a van. If they needed and a ride from the school home, he would give them a ride. Sure or if they did. needed a ride from the elementary school home or the junior high school home, he would give them a ride. Everybody liked him. But he tells the parents, I have not seen your son in a while, but obviously if I do, I'll let you know. So later that year, while the parents are still looking for their son, Billy, their other son, Michael, also disappeared. Oh my gosh, both of them. So in a year, just what we're talking about, we've got Billy and his brother, Michael, Mm -hmm. and then the 
Hildegeist. And his friend. And his friend, Johnny. So it's four boys in a year. Just, yeah. And and these are just the ones that we have stories on. Okay. This is crazy. Like, I can't believe that we haven't covered this story before. And I didn't really do a lot of research, if any other podcasts have. But um, I'll cite my story. So most of this information came from, there is a crime story um, episode on this one. There is a Texas Monthly article called The Lost Boys on this. And I think there's some old movies, but there's not a lot of coverage on it. Mm. So, but there's a lot of pictures out there and all that. So it's really good. Now, we're at Wednesday, August the 8th, 1973. So it's two years, right? Um, yeah, two years later. Okay. Two years later from when... Um, the first set of boys. The first, well, the first we boys know. that we know of, right? Mm-hmm. A guy by the name of Wayne Henley invites his friend... Tim Curley to attend a party at Dean Curl's house. And at this time, Curl lived in Pasadena. He didn't live in the Heights anymore. Uh, so the two boys arrive at the party house, and for a couple of hours, they're sniffing paint fumes and drinking until midnight. Yeah. Oh my God. yeah. They decide, you know what? We're going to go buy some sandwiches. So they, they go back to the Heights. So they go get sandwiches. And then instead of going back to Pasadena at first, they go back to the Heights so that um, they can park the car close to Henley's house. And Henley sees his friend uh, Rhonda outside, and it's, like, really late. So he walks over to find out if she's okay. She says that her dad got really drunk and beat her up. And he's like, look, come with us. Like, I don't want you to go back in there until your dad sobers up. Come with us. We're going to go party. Oh, what a good guy. So they they all three pile in the car, and they go to Pasadena to go to this party. Okay? So they finally get there at 3 a.m. With sandwiches. With sandwiches? No, they probably already ate the sandwiches by now, right? Because they were sniffing paint, right. and paint and all that. I can't believe that was a thing back then. I remember it being kind of a thing, but I never really was interested in it, mm-hmm. you know. So they get to the house. They all go in. Well, Dean, Dean is really pissed off that Henley brought this girl. He said, um, man, she, you know, her dad beat her up. And he's like, I don't care. You ruined everything. The rest of the night, while the three of them are partying, Sniffing paint, smoking pot, drinking beer, whatever. He's sitting, stewing, and just staring at them, waiting for them to pass out, right? So they pass out. At 8.30 a.m., police receive a call, frantic phone call. It, the call is, I shot someone. So they give the address to the house, which is 2020 Lamar Drive in Pasadena, Texas. You can look it up. It's super cool. Um, I mean, pictures of the house. 2020, like this year? 2020. Yes. Good observation. <laughs> so they get the cops get to the house and there are three teenagers sitting outside on the front porch. Cops are like, what's going on? And the Wayne said, I shot a man. He's inside. So they say, all right, they cuff them and stick them in the cars just so everybody's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the cops go in and they see a, a man naked laying face down in the hallway outside of a small bedroom. That escalated very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> Very, very quickly. Uh, They said his feet were tangled in a telephone cord and he had bullet holes that were bloody in his back and in his shoulder. They decide to look in all of the bedrooms. So they look in one bedroom. The first bedroom had the floor was covered with plastic sheeting. Why do you have plastic sheeting in your floor in your bedroom? Because you're Dexter. Probably. (laughs) Um, And they found what they called a body board. It was basically just a piece of wood. That was pretty narrow and long that somebody could lay on with handcuffs attached to it. Okay. Uh, It said there are also all kinds of 
and I'm going to use air quotes because this is what they said, sexual objects. I didn't do a lot of research on what those were. I don't care. That's what they call me downtown. Sexual <laughs> objects. <laughs> sexual objects to the front, please. We have a call for you. Your 930 is here. <laughs> Your 930 is here. Sexual objects. Searching the rest of the house, they found eight more sets of handcuffs, binding tape, rope, and petroleum jelly. Oh, my Ew. God. That's like a serial know, rapist like, kit. In the garage was a van. And inside the van was a wooden coffin-like box. Plastic sheeting in it. Mm. And then on the floor, of the on the garage floor, there were twa- twaces? <laughs> traces of white line. Get to that later. You said lime like L-Y-M-E, right? Not yes. white lines like cocaine? No, not white line. Not like a line. Like lime. Like what you use to L-Y-M-E, break lime. stuff down. Lime. Mm-hmm. So they realized that this man... Please is 33-year-old electrician Dean Coral. 33? 33. Ugh. Hanging out with 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old That's doesn't scream pedophile, but I know in the 70s, I'm sure it wasn't something that was even thought of. <sighs> so, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Dean Coral. Um, he grew up in a broken home. This is a term that's used quite a bit in the story. Um, it's basically talking about divorce mm-hmm. people. People that are divorced. But back then, I guess, it was kind of, look. it made you, people assumed you were a certain kind of kid if you came from a broken home because you weren't as, maybe you didn't have as much discipline mm-hmm. or if you were with one parent or the other back and forth. Mm-hmm. It was just assumed that you were different. His dad didn't really treat him that well. He was really hard on him from a discipline perspective. Um, and his mom and dad were divorced. They got the divorce and they got back together and divorced again and the mom remarried. So... They were, him and his brother were with babysitters a lot and not his parents. So um, as he grew up, he spent a lot of his time working in their candy business. He made sweets at night and then worked as an electrician during the day. Eventually his parents moved away and he took over the candy company. So he did both. Okay. He was a loner, but spent most of his time with the teenagers. Um, He also moved every few months, which is suspicious as fuck. And he didn't have... Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. (laughs) Let's do not sing TikTok songs on our... Okay. He also did not have much interaction with people his own age, like people that he worked with or stuff. Maybe just... Well, no, because he like 14-year-olds. Just the parents of the kids that he wanted to hang out with, right? Of course, yeah. Let me put in a good word. Yeah. Um, His parents admitted that he seemed very depressed in the days leading up to his death. He talked to them about being in some kind of trouble. They told police that his teenage companions might not be as innocent as they seemed. He also had a girlfriend named Betty. She was a single mother that let her children call him daddy. Um, And there was a police officer who went to high school with Coral and married Coral's cousin, said that he was quiet, well-mannered, well-groomed, considerate. That's what they always say. I mean, of course they're not going to say, if you only knew what I did in the privacy. are not what they seem. Facade. Facade. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a little bit about Wayne. He was a smart young man who was a high school dropout. Uh, also came from a broken home. He lived with his mother. His father wasn't around much. He met Dean when he was 14. So now David Brooks, which is the other friend that was around Dean a lot. And David Brooks is the one that introduced Wayne Henley to Dean Coral. Okay. So he's the connection. He met 
David Brooks and Dean were friends before Wayne came in the picture. Okay. So David Brooks, typical teenager. He had a girlfriend who lived in the Heights. He also was from a broken home and also was a high school dropout. Um, his dad was really hard on him, too. They they called him a tough redneck paving contractor. Regardless, it sounds like his dad was kind of hard on him. And just like Wayne, I think Dean met them when they were young and knew what they knew what he he was very good at manipulating them. So he would give them what he knew they wanted, money, candy, candy. But at some point when you get old enough, candy's not going to be enough. Right. Um, so you're going to have to. Who are you talking about? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm 34 and I will do a lot for candy. Right. But you're not like if some older woman was trying to get you to do something gross. At some point as you get older, oh, yeah. candy isn't going to be enough is what I'm saying. No. It's not like they just want to go, hey, here's some candy. It's like, hey, here's some candy. Now I want you to do this to me, and then I get to do that to you. Oh, okay. Um, you know what, candy? Okay, here's some money. Mm-hmm. Oh, money's not enough? Here's a car. Twisted. So back to the night of Dean's shooting. Wait, let me go back a little bit. I talked about the car. At one point, Coral... Coral. I keep, when I say that, I think of Walking Dead. Coral! Damn it, Coral! (laughs) Where's Coral? At one point, Coral did buy Brooks a car to keep his mouth shut. Because in the beginning, when Dean met Brooks, David Brooks met Dean, he didn't really know exactly what was going on, right? Of course, yeah. Um, He just knew that the guy was nice to him, and he let him stay with him when Brooks and his dad got in a fight. And when Brooks needed money, he gave him money. So at one point, he showed up at Dean's house unannounced. And Dean was having sex with two young boys. Brooks walked in and was like, oh, shit. Dean was like, what, what are you doing here, man? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. So he leaves. So Dean's like scrambling. And so Brooks comes back and he's like, well, I'm doing a, I was, I was shooting a porno with these two young boys. So please don't say anything. Like they agreed to it. They knew what was going on. He bought him a Corvette. Jesus. To keep him quiet. And those two boys that Brooks caught him with were two boys that he ended up. Lining. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's what he did. Like he That makes me sick to my stomach. He, mm-hmm. This is it's some of the stuff I read I'm not going to repeat and it does make me want to throw up. This guy was a twisted twisted motherfucker. I just don't I just do not understand why like 90% of all these issues or these these murders and these things that happen stem from sexual gratification. I just don't understand what it is about you have a craving for something that you know is wrong. You get what you want. You get the gratification, but then you have to destroy any evidence because what you did was wrong, and you just throw them away like a dirty sock. Mm-hmm. Meant nothing to this world, you know? Mm-hmm. I know we can't understand it, but right. it just grosses me out that there's it all. There's so much of it that goes back to sexual gratification. Absolutely. And that he pretended to be this perfect person that everybody liked and got along with. Yet people saw that he hung out with teenagers too much, but not a damn thing was done about it Mm -hmm. until, like, the night of the, when he gets shot. The teenagers are taken to police headquarters, and they're questioned. They basically, all three, told the same story. Um, So the story was that uh, Wayne said that he knew Dean for several years, that he and his friends spent time with him in the Heights before uh, before Dean moved to Pasadena, Um, when Wayne arrived at the house with the girl, Dean was pissed off. Um, but of course Henley was able to calm him down and they began to party. All the three teenagers stayed up all night huffing. Eventually they passed out. When they woke up, they were all three handcuffed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
except for that Rhonda and Tim had tape over their mouths. So they were handcuffed and their mouths were taped. But Henley was just handcuffed. He didn't have tape over his mouth. Um, so Henley was like, shit, I know what's about to happen. He talked uh, Dean into taking his handcuff, <clears throat> into taking his handcuffs off by saying he would help him. He's like, look, I'll help you do whatever it is you want to do to these two. Just let me go. Let me help you. Because you know me. You can trust me. Yeah. You think he was, like, disgusted there was a girl in the room? Okay. We'll readdress that. Okay. Or we'll address that later. He lets Henley go. Henley gets the gun and shoots Dean six times. Gets the gun. Well, in the documentary or in the crime stories, it shows him, like, getting a knife and, like, holding it to the girl's face very dramatically. And it's like, shh. Right? But then he turns around, grabs a gun, and shoots Dean. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. That's the story. And the other two basically say the same thing because they're they're only able to watch. They can't say anything. Mm -hmm. The police are still trying to question, trying to figure out what happened. Henley is talking about, you know, his relationship with Dean. And he says something about bodies. And the detective was like, well, what do you mean bodies? And he said, okay, well, I guess I should tell you that another reason, besides trying to save my friends... Another reason that I decided to kill him is because he has a warehouse full of bodies. What? Yes. Like, not like... No. Like, mannequin bodies. Like, real dead bodies? These are not mannequins, Shut up. Dead bodies? He has a warehouse? Yeah. There's so many, there's a warehouse? Yeah. This is just scratching the surface. Um, And, of course, at first, the detective did believe him. They're like, this guy, he's full of shit, right? Um, After walking into a house with body boards and handcuffs and sexual objects, here's the thing: like they, this is before John Wayne Gacy and all that oh, stuff. Okay. So they don't really have; they have no idea what people are have, capable of. They just don't know what they're what about. They have is. no idea what they're about to encounter. They're not prepared. Look, I have chills. So I know this is a really good one. Okay, Hilly could tell that the cop didn't believe him, so he was like, "Okay, what about?" A, a kid by the last name of Jones, a kid by the last name of Kabul, and a kid by the last name of Hillegeist. And they're like, what? The cops decide, finally, these cops that get missing persons sent to them individually come together and realize, oh my God, we have a ridiculous amount of missing teenagers. And three of the boys that he just named are missing. Mm-hmm. So finally, they're like, we have we have a situation on our hands, okay? So the problem is, two of those boys that he mentioned, uh, Charles Kabul and Marty Jones, had only been missing for a little over two weeks. Mm-hmm. Of course, Hilla Geist was still was missing from like 1971, so mm-hmm. a couple of years. But like, that means that this Henley guy had been h- hanging out with him for long enough to know these boys' names. Okay, so later in the afternoon, later on, we're still on August 8th. This is all still the same day. The detectives um, decide to go, it's called Southwest Boat Storage. It's in South Houston. This is the place where Wayne said that the bodies were. They bring him, they bring Henley with him. They go to the boat storage and he points at stall number 11. There was, the, there was a lock on the shed. They go to the manager's office and find out, first of all, who it's rented to. It's rented to Dean Coral, of course. So when they opened the door, they said Henley's face turned white as a sheet. So they, they opened knew. up the steeple and there were all the people. <laughs> and yeah. so I know you're um, you're picturing like a current storage unit. Yeah. That's very small yeah. and a concrete floor. No, this is an older one for a boat. So it's a lot wider and it has a dirt floor. 
And it's real tall, right? Very tall because you could put a big boat and it's pretty wide. Like, I don't know the dimensions, but I have pictures of it that I got off of the internet. It has a dirt floor. has a dirt floor. So they're looking around in there. Oh, and the other thing, the manager, that the guy that rented it was very nice. Of course. And he visits the shed two to three times a week. And he leaves candy for him. <laughs> Once they opened the door, they saw that the, the floor was dirt and it was partially covered with two pieces of carpet. Also inside, they found a, an old car that was stripped down. They found shovels bicycles, shoes, jackets, and some sacks of lime. You liming. Some bitch. Are you liming? I'm not liming to you at all. I swear I'm not liming. This is a very serious situation. <laughs> I guess those are items that wouldn't break down in line. No, I think they were items that he didn't really care about hiding. He was just putting them in his storage room. The only thing that he wanted they were like to... Trophy. I think so. I, either that or he just didn't care. I think he just thought he was never going to get caught, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, they also noticed that there were a couple of areas of the ground that looked like they were freshly mm-hmm. dug up. So the detectives brought their own shovels and inmates from the local jail to help with the digging. Shut up. I know. I couldn't the jail? believe it. Inmates from the local jail to help with the digging. Okay. So they needed that much help with that big of an area. Well, their pictures, it's a pretty big one. I mean, it it would fit a pretty big boat and you would have, I mean, think about it. It had a car in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the car didn't have, it was partially broke down, but there was a car in there and then all the shit on the side and you'll see pictures of it. It's, it's bigger than you think. Okay. So that's what she said. No, that's what he said. Okay, seriousness. Okay, so after digging for just a short time, they got to a layer of lime. I'm not liming. And just six six inches from there, they found a body wrapped in clear plastic. The same kind of plastic that they found in Dean's bedroom. Around the body, there was a heavy cord wrapped around the neck. So then they call the homicide detectives, call the medical examiner and the crime lab investigators. Get your ass up here. We got a situation. Some bitch. Um, the other thing that the owner of the storage facility told the police is that Dean had recently asked about renting another shed. And the one that he had, he had had for almost two years. That was another little tidbit. So he would have so many bodies, he'd need a second shed? I don't know. So, or that one, he's like, oh, this one I'll actually put my storage in. <laughs> I actually need one for my shit. For my actual boat. For my sexual object. Or for my van. So my that hand. I don't have to, I could sleep right next yeah. to it. So, um, the more they dig, the more bodies they find. Oh my God. By midnight, eight bodies had been uncovered and sent to the medical examiner for identification. They started having to diagram the location of the bodies. And in some areas, like some areas where they dug, they were like three deep. Oh my God, just on top of each other? Mm-hmm. So, at this point, news about what's going on is spreading like crazy. So, TV crews and camera uh, news people just start flooding the area, right? In fact, one of the detectives walks up to one of the local camera guys and said, hey, can I borrow your phone? Wayne Henley needs to call his mom. Wayne borrows this camera guy's phone and the camera guy's filming it. I don't, I didn't find it on the internet, but on that crime story uh, episode, they actually show it and he, so it shows him, he's like leaning up against the car and he's got the phone. Mama, it's Wayne. 
Mama. I feel It's really sad. Well, yeah, I mean, what he's seen and what he knew, what he just went through and what he, he saved two people's lives, mm-hmm. you know? And who knows how many boys after that that he would have saved because he would have continued doing it. Absolutely. He had no intentions of stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, the detectives start thinking about how this whole thing went down and they start thinking this many bodies, this kid knew of kids that had been missing for a while. A while. And if he's been hanging out with him for two years, there's no way you can tell me he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Right. So they start trying to, like, get him to talk more because they, they know there's more to it. They just, and they've already, like, gained his trust. So they take him back. He's under arrest, but just mainly because he shot Dean. At this mm-hmm. point, that he thinks that's really the only thing. Right now, he seems the hero. Like, you even said it. He saved his friends. He saved his friends from torture and death. So right now, he's the good guy. But they were saying that when they, when the detectives saw the very first body, Henley was able to tell them right away who it was. He was like, "Oh, well, that's blah blah blah." Well, he already knew. So how do you know if you've, if you are this innocent hero that was just trying to save your friends and you know of this storage, how do you know exactly who that is? Like that means that you actually participated in this in some way, mm-hmm. not just that you knew the person and you went to school with him. You must have participated in some way. Clearly, he was more involved. And it's very obvious that Coral had a very big big influence on Henley and Brooks's life. Like, he was their father figure. They trusted him. And what they find out is that the relationship between Henley and Dean and Brooks and Dean. Oh, Brooks and Dean. um, Is that, this is so fucked up. The two teenage boys, Wayne, I'm going to try to go by the first name so I don't say Brooks and Dunn again. Wayne and David, they would lure the teenage boys Shut in. up. No. They lured them in and brought them to Dean for him to do whatever. And they got money and toys and stuff. He he paid them $200 a boy. He said $200 for every teenage boy that you bring in. <sighs> They're just as responsible for everything that happened Absolutely. to those boys. So that's the thing. It's like just a few minutes ago, he was the hero. Mm-hmm. Now he has to admit like, the cops are starting to put it together themselves. He has to admit his, his role. But he says, I never, ever helped him kill anybody or anything like that. We just brought the boys to him, and he did whatever. You put the meat in the alligator's mouth. And not only that, how do you know, if you're so innocent and you just bring him boys, how do you know where this storage room is? How do you know who that boy is? And that it's full of bodies. Right. At this point, though, the cops have not, they've not been told about the boy David Brooks. They just think that it's Henley and Dean and they don't know anything about a guy named David Brooks. But Alton Brooks shows up at Houston Homicide with his 18-year-old son, David. And he says, tell him what you want to tell him. And so Brooks admitted to uh, helping Wayne entice young teenage boys to go hang out with Dean. But he said, I had nothing to do with the killings, but the same cannot be said for Wayne. Mm. Okay. So at this point, Wayne is somewhere else. I guess he's in jail. Mm-hmm. And this guy's at the homicide. So they go get Wayne and they bring him to where David is. And they're like, you need to urge David to be honest. Like, Go ahead and tell him what we already know. Let's be honest with what's going on here. Okay. They go back to Henley and they say, hey, you know what? Brooks just told us that he had zero involvement and that... You did it all. Of course, he gets pissed off. 
he tells David, look, we, we need to be honest. So while this is go, while this conversation is being had, they uncover nine more bodies from, from the, the shed. Oh so at this point now we're at 17. Jesus. Body count 17, just in the storage shed, okay? Or the boat shed. Just like on top of each other and just in there? The diagram that I'll show you, it shows like one here, one over here. They're like three stacked. I don't even think they were all stacked the same way. The diagram will show you. It doesn't show all of them. It just shows a part of it. Some of the bodies were identified the same day, uh, mostly because of their clothing. But the ones that were, and those were the ones that were well-preserved. The ones that were more deteriorated, obviously that wasn't going to be an option, right? Um, and I wanted to, I said this earlier, but just remember that this was before John Wayne Gacy and all that. So the term serial killer hadn't been coined and no one had a body count this high. So this is like gaining national news at this point. That's terrifying. So David Brooks starts being honest and said that he knew Dean since he was 14 and actually lived with him with, in some of his residences when they lived in the Heights. He admitted to taking part in the rituals. And in fact, it was him that introduced Henley to Coral in 1971. David and Wayne were friends. And so that was his job to bring in teenage boys. Something about Henley struck Dean and he was like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything to you. I want you to work for me like David does. And that's when he told him $200 a teenage, teenage boy. So now David and Wayne are working together for Dean. I'm so disgusted. I know. It's gross. It is so $200 for every. So at this point, Wayne is concerned. It's a business relationship. So they use what they call a handcuff trick. So what they would do is the two boys would bring a teenage boy to Dean's house and they would all be sitting around or they would, they would say, oh, look, I have these handcuffs on. Watch me get out of them. But Wayne would have a key hidden so that he could unlock it with the key and make it look like he got out of them. So then they would have the other, the boy they brought in, put the handcuffs on. And of course, he didn't have a key, so he wouldn't be able to get out. And that was how they sometimes captured them. And so then they would leave the room and let David, let Dean do what he wanted. I know, it's disgusting. And like I said, I'm not going to tell you what he did. Just know that he molested them and tortured them, strangled them, and then off they went. Those poor boys. Um, they both told about the plastic on the floor and over the body boards. Coral would do his thing, and then they would wrap the bodies in the plastic, put the bodies in the coffin box, in the van, and then take take the body to the boat shed to bury. So the boys would take it, or Dean would take it? I think they all three took it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think it was just the boys. I think they all three went. I'm pretty sure he wanted to be a part of his... I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question, I'm assuming, but... Nothing about it. I mean, it, it would make sense think. why they would know. Mm-hmm. Why he would be able to tell just by the location. Yeah, because he was. helped bury them. Yeah. yeah. Um, David said that he never helped, that he never killed anyone and claimed that even one time he saved a young man named Billy Riding um, by persuading Dean to let him go. I don't know if there's any proof of that. His name isn't on the victim list because I do have the complete victim list that I'll talk about at the end. But I guess he had a felt bad. I just can't imagine Dean let somebody go like that and fearing that. I guess he had like a big complex that he thought he was untouchable. And even if he let them go, they're not going to say anything. I don't I don't really know. Maybe he thought just because he played the nice guy routine that he nobody would, just, would believe him. Exactly. And that's probably why he chose the boys that he chose. High school dropouts from broken homes. And why he, knowing that the cops wouldn't really pursue it because. And he had the boys rope them in so that they didn't say, well, Dean didn't come after me. Wayne did mm-hmm. or Brooks did. They came they came and asked me to be a part of this. Yep. Dean's nowhere in that. Yeah. So 
It is yeah, all acting. Yeah. Well, those boys came to my house. I didn't ask them to come over. They just yeah. came over. That, they wanted to come hang out because, I mean, obviously he would buy them beer and drugs and do whatever. One of the detectives said, okay, so Brooks said that he didn't ever kill anybody. He let that kid go. But he did admit to being there when some of them were actually killed. So that's the, the limit of what he would admit. Um, and the detective said that once Brooks would start talking, that it was like a machine. Like he was very... Um, Regimented in what he like, said. Just like he was just like repeating a story that he had heard a thousand times. There was no passion. He said it was eerie because he would just like blah, 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 blah. And just say what happened and just sit there like nothing. No crying. I mean, you think about it. Like those boys watched so much shit but they were able to just go home and be okay like how is that how is that and those boys were their age or younger it's not like yes and the worst part is some of these boys were their friend henley denies any involvement in the torture but now he finally does admit some involvement in the murders he admits to pointing the gun to one of the young men pointing it and putting in his mouth and shooting oh my god so now he says okay i did shoot one of them but I didn't torture any of them, okay? That's just as bad. You mm-hmm. might as well. And it actually was, the this one that he shot was one of his classmates. I mean, think about it. The Heights was a smaller community. Everybody knew everybody, and they all went to school together. So they, that's how they were able to get these kids to do what they wanted because they knew each other. I think that is so fucked up. Not that killing a stranger is any easier, but they trusted you. Like, imagine yeah. what they were thinking. Yeah. When they got into that situation, like, oh, my God, you're my friend. Yeah. You know, can you imagine? And you you let me, you brought me yeah. here. And no, you're gonna, what was going to happen? You're going to leave me in here with this disgusting person. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to come back in here and now you're going to kill me. And then you're going to go look my mom in the face yeah. when she's looking for me. Glad you brought that up because this kid, Wayne Henley, you know, earlier in the story, we were talking about the Hilligeist lady and mm-hmm. she was, friends came over to help put up posters. He helped put posters up. That, like, when I hear about people, like, I think about all the cases, you know, the famous cases, like the Lacey Peterson case where Mm -hmm. her husband put up, oh, I'm going to put a vigil and I'm going to put up posters. Like, you know they're not coming home. Why are you you even pretending? Right. Like, you know. Why are you putting up posters for, that's like, oh, I'm going to put up this sign that says that my bike's missing even though it's in the garage. Mm -hmm. I know exactly where it is. I don't You know, I don't. I mean, I know they put themselves there so that they can say, oh, well, they helped me look for it there for, for him. Obviously, it, posters. it couldn't have been him or it is him. But the thing is, is they weren't even suspicious of any of them. They weren't suspicious. I mean, maybe some of the parents were suspicious of Dean, but they were not suspicious of any of the teenage boys. And so if they heard, any oh, of their the friends. last time I saw Jacob, he was with Wayne. Oh, well, then I'm not worried. Yeah. Not worried. Maybe they'll show up. Not worried at all. And this is another twisted thing, is that sometimes Dean would make the teenagers write letters to their parents and even letting them call and say, I'm okay, I love you, I'll be home soon, and then kill them. And so now that way their parents don't worry as much and gives him more time to do. They're still they're still interrogating Wayne. So he finally is like, you know what? I know where some more bodies are. Oh my God, there's more? Yeah, sister, we're not done. There's some in this wooded area, not far from Lake, Ray, uh, Lake Sam Rayburn. They get in the cop car, they drive to the lake, they drive down this dirt road for a while, and Henley says, stop right here. There are two bodies here. So they go and dig, and they find two bodies. Um, they go. He goes, oh, there's two over here. They go over there. There's two more. Why are they in pairs? I don't know. Some of them were brothers. Well, I have to say, if I was going to be tortured and killed, I'd rather be with one of my family members. Me too. 
just being alone. maybe we can help each other out somehow. or just not having to die alone yeah with those four the count is up to 21 so did they use that uh, wooded area before the storage I don't or did the storage get too full so they had to use I that? don't think it was too full I think it's just a matter of wherever Dean was when they met up with him like if they met up him if they met if they brought the boys to the house I think they used the shed but if they met up somewhere else like I think the story is they were fishing the boys brought teenage boys to where he was fishing at the lake. We're on August 10th, so it's just been a couple of days. They're now and then they're still going in and talking to Henley. Brooks and Henley decide, okay, we're gonna go ahead and tell you about another site where we know where bodies are. This is on a tiny beach community, High Island. That's um, a ways from Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not really. Oh, Houston's okay. right here. Oh, so yeah. okay, so we're looking at the map detectives go let's get in the car so here they go so they get there and they point out where six more bodies are buried six on the beach in the sand so there are pictures of them digging up bodies in the sand and there's another diagram of where they are it's insane to me you know know what's crazy to me is that you take these two boys right and they go out there and they can tell them exactly where they're buried but then you take serial killers or even people that just killed once Mm -hmm. and they're like I can't find out. I know is that 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 actually is a very disturbing part of it, this. It is very. Is that he knows like they're driving down the dirt road. And he's like, stop right here. Like, I don't know how it is that he remembers exactly where they are because there's so many of them. I think mm-hmm. is why it's shocking. So they find six more. So that means the count is up to twenty-seven. Eighteen of those twenty-seven were young men that lived in the Heights. And no one correlated that eighteen kids went missing from one area. Um, the parents, but that's about it. August 13th, 1973, Houston, Texas. A grand jury was convened to hear witnesses in this serial murder case. That obviously shocked the entire world. Uh, but the focus is on Wayne Henley and David Brooks. The guy, Tim and Rhonda, they came in and testified. The kid, Billy Reidinger, that oh, so they let go. Mm-hmm. That Wayne and David were under the spell of Dean, but that he was able to get away. But he talked about what happened when he was there. By October of the same year, all six, all but six of the bodies were identified. So they knew who 21 of them were, all of them. So at least their parents had closure. They knew, even though it was jacked up, they knew they had their son and they could breathe properly. Right. The police eventually stopped searching at the end of September, despite rumors of there being bodies buried in other places. And they found 27 because those were the ones that Wayne and David knew about. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So there are obviously others somewhere else that just either did by himself or if he had help, he killed them too. Mm-hmm. They just don't know. In 1974, David Brooks pled guilty to one count of murder for the death of a teenage boy named Billy Lawrence. Wayne Henley was sentenced to six concurrent 99-year terms. Amen. Yes. yes. And David received one 99-year term. Uh, fast forward to 1994, uh, the Harris County Medical Examiner's Office decided to use forensic reconstruction on one of the skulls from the murder. So the artist gets the skull and the lady, there's a picture of her I put on there. The lady starts like reconstructing this face. And when she's done, the medical examiner looked at the boy and was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly who that is. I have chills. Says that is Mark Scott, who was 18 years old at the time. He was thought to have run away early in 1972 um, because he was in trouble with the police. Mark Scott was also one of Hen- Wayne Henley's longtime friends. 
that that's who it actually was him. They did DNA and, and it was him. And in 94, there were still only three bodies that had yet to be identified. Um, so both of those two little fuckers are still in federal p- prison and every request for parole is denied. Of course, every as single it should one. Be. I mean, I know they were young, but still to do that so many times and then to walk around and continue to do it and bring lure innocent kids to mm-hmm. be molested and tortured and raped and killed. And then you participate in some fashion. And there were a lot of rumors too. Um, I think that's why in the story they talk about David Brooks having a girlfriend because there were rumors that Dean had coerced David to to have sex with him or at least do have oral sex on each other. So there are, I think there might have been rumors that David was gay and maybe he was and he had a girlfriend to make it look like he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's why Dean had the girlfriend too to like put up this front that, hey, I'm not like that and how dare somebody accuse me of that. I have a girlfriend. I could never... So I think maybe there was a lot of that going on, too, and maybe that's... And how did the girlfriend not know any of this was going on? That is a great question. I mean, 27 boys came in But they house. they had a... And evidently, at some point, him and his girlfriend must have broken up, because yeah, how do you stay... Like, hey, you want to stay at my house tonight? And you're yeah. like, sure, yeah, you're my boyfriend, I'll stay at your house. Why do you have Dexter floors? And where exactly? And well, why do you have handcuffs? I think on that's board? why he moved a lot. I think maybe he had a resident residence that he stayed with her, or maybe he lived with her, and maybe she didn't know he had all these other houses. Yeah. I don't know. But that has to come out sexually, you know, like. Well, actually, there is on the in the Texas Monthly, the Lost Boys. Uh, they did have some information in there about how uh, his girlfriend Betty, Dean's girlfriend, did say that a lot of times that he. They would be trying to have sex, and he wouldn't be able to perform, and he would just say, I'm sorry, I'm just really tired. You're a girl, and you're Exactly, old. and you're consenting. That, that's, <laughs> I'm going to go get my a, board and some handcuffs. I'll be back. Maybe it's going to be a little more enticing. Yeah, you're making it too easy. Like, can you run around the room a little bit? or scream? Can I put duct tape on your face oh or God, something? we're so bad. That's terrible. Okay. That poor girl. In April of 2011, that was the, that's the date of the Texas, Texas Monthly article. There's a whole, not a whole lot of stuff about David or Henley talking, but they do an interview with him, and he basically, he doesn't really say a lot, but he says that he says he has a 14-year-old niece who came to visit him, and when she was there, she asked him if he had really done all of the things that she'd been reading about on the Internet, and he said that he looked at her and said, Honey, I wish I could explain it to you. Okay, That's whatever. That's not really a yes or no Yeah, answer. no, yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't let my kid go see him. I don't care. Write a fucking letter. And at that time, he was 54. So right at now, that makes him 63 years old. So imagine, he's 63 years old. He's been in jail since he was 18. Good. Yep. And he is and in I the... I hope he lives with all the torture he let happen. I hope I so. he thinks about it. On the internets, the body count is 28. Um, we are going to run down the list of the victims really quickly. Okay. So here is our list of victims. Rest in peace, Jeffrey Conan. Donald and Jerry Waldrop, Mark Scott, Jimmy Glass, Danny Yates, Randall Harvey, Mally Winkle, David Hillegeist, Frank Aguirre. Er, let me stop on there. I forgot this part. Frank Aguirre was Rhonda's ex-boyfriend who had disappeared, and then that's why she started hanging out with Henley. Sorry, that name triggered. Uh, Billy and Michael Bosch. Johnny DeLone, Rusty Branch, Reuben Watson Haney, Steve Sickman, Roy Bunton, 
Willie J. Simono, Richard Hembry, Richard Kepner, Joseph Lyles, William Ray Lawrence, Raymond Stanley Blackburn, Homer Lewis Garcia, John Sellers, Charles Cobble, Marty Ray Jones, and James Stanton Dremalga. That sounds like what you should be reading at a graduation. I agree. That is the Houston, they called it the Houston Mass Murder. So rest in peace, all of those 28 young boys, and I feel bad for their family. I am glad that they found all of them and the families were able to know and not spend all their rest of their days looking for them. Um, Doesn't make it easier. Yeah. And then to know all the stuff that was done to them. And you can look that know, up online. I don't, like I said, it makes my stomach hurt. Their own friend lured them there. You know, like yeah. you trust, like, oh, I'm gonna go with so and so. Oh yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. I trust them. No problem. They're good kids. You can go. And then you trust, and they go, and then imagine their final thoughts and the the fear on their face, like, oh my God, you're my friend. Yeah. You brought me in here, and you're you're gonna let this happen, or you're actually gonna participate in this. And so, what like did Wayne say? Why that night he decided that enough was enough. I think it was because of the girl. I don't think it was because, I think maybe maybe it was twofold. Maybe he was getting tired of all the shit. Mm-hmm. He'd had enough. And I think he was protecting the girl. It was different. Bringing a girl into the mix makes it different. I guess for him somehow, he couldn't. He just couldn't see that happen. But if, if he hadn't brought her, that girl's dad had beat her up and she was an outside and he didn't invite her over and talk or talk Dean into continuing to let them party, who knows? He would have probably continued until mm-hmm. yeah, he got caught. Yeah. So it's like those things you're like, I don't know why I had to go through what I had to go through. Like she was probably sitting there getting her, her ass kicked. She's like, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. So that you can save the lives of many future boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first started watching, I was like, good job, Wayne. And then when I kept watching, I was like, oh my God, this, so this what kid's is it on? in on it. Crime story. I found it on on the internet. So just go to YouTube, type in crime story. You okay. can type in his name, and it'll come up. It's like a forty five minute episode. It's pretty good. I mean, it basically I tailored my story around that, uh, and then I read most of the Texas Monthly article called The Lost Boys, and then they said there was a movie, but I didn't really go down that path. Um, and then I found some stuff on the newspapers.com, but there wasn't really a whole lot because, I mean, there should have been because it was national news. Yeah, but I'm sure with the degree and how bad it was and then how bad it makes law enforcement look yes. that all this stuff was happening in such a short amount of time and nobody was doing anything about it. They probably didn't want to cause an uproar. Right. Well, and the interesting thing is that, before, so I watched the crime story documentary and then I went and read the Texas Monthly article. So the interesting thing is the the crime story the crime story episode, the cops, the detectives that are talking make it sound like they kind of put it on the parents and say, you know, there were two there were two groups of family. There were families that were like, oh, they probably just ran away. They'll be fine, and so they really didn't do much to find their children. And then there were other ones that pursued it. And he said, uh, unfortunately, the the parents that pursued their missing children was a minority and that the majority of the parents just didn't care, which basically isn't true because when you read the Texas monthly article, it makes sense. Like you, you can see that being logical that, you know, every did every cop, there was no rhyme or reason as to who got what missing person. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really 
cooperate, right? Yeah. It was just, how else would you be able to, to allow this many kids to be missing in a short amount of time? So from 1970 to 73, it was almost 30 mm-hmm. teenagers because mm-hmm. more than half of them were from the Heights. Well, and the thing is, is like usually, because you know, we watch all these crime shows, like Law and Order and stuff, like usually what, what triggers them to realize a commonality is once they find the victim and it's where they were found or who knows that victim. And that's the other thing is that like they didn't go interview and say, well, tell me his five friends. Hey, out of these 10 people missing, the common denominator is Wayne. Well, they you know there was there were a couple of times where the cops would go question. So basically what they would do if they did go question anybody about this missing person, they would go to their friends and sometimes they would get half-assed information. Oh, I saw him at such and such's house. He's around. And so if he if they ask Wayne or David, not knowing that they needed to be suspicious, mm-hmm. of course they're going to lie and say, oh, yeah, he was around. Or probably they're going to put that rumor out there so that the parents don't worry. I'm not going to say that they didn't pursue them at all. But when they did, it, they shut it down really quickly. But I would have been like that one mom. I would have been pounding the pavement driving around. I mean, they already were on the right track because they, they actually to, went to the killer's house. They would have to give me a badge and a gun because I'd be there every day. Every day. Give me a desk. Yeah. Give me a computer. Put I'm looking for my child. Mm-hmm. I'm not going And I don't anywhere. even need your help. I will do it my damn self. Yep. All I need is, is information into databases if I need questions about license plates or driver's license pictures. But otherwise, just give me my own area and I'll do my own investigation. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not stopping. And the story is very unique in that the body count and the time, but it's also unique in that the killer is killed before any bodies are found. It usually doesn't happen that way. No. Usually it's we find bodies, we're trying to find a suspect, and we finally find one, and we match DNA, and now we have to we get the mm-hmm. story. Yeah. This time, missing kid, missing kid, missing kid, man is shot, everything and, explodes. And, and yeah. the other thing is that I... is. Is happy. I wish he would have just been wounded. Yeah. So that we could find out, are there more bodies? Right. You know? Yeah. Because I believe he's the kind of, he's the kind of psychopath that would tell you, oh, look no, what yes. I did. Yes. Look how many I have. Yes. I mean. And he had to start somewhere. Yeah. And, maybe and, in Indiana. Or, I, or maybe in the military. That may have been where he started. And so, what do you think? You like it? Oh my gosh. This I know. Is it sucks, but it's, it's a good sad. one. But I'm glad that you covered it because I I never knew of it. And maybe more people will cover it now. Maybe it'll, you know, watch your kids. If they're missing, fight. If you need yeah. help, if you need my help, I will do whatever. Me I too, will. absolutely. I mean, think times are different now, so they're like, yeah, it's seriously. about it's like serious. social media, like you yeah. and Amber Alert mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, so th- times are different. But anyway, so that's my story. It was very good. Thank you. So that's a wrap. All right, bye, y'all.